0: To Parley, the Hindu's weekly discussion podcast. I'm Jagrati Chandra, your host for today. This time, we are discussing the issue of age of marriage for women. The Prime Minister, in his Independence Day speech, announced that there could soon be a decision on the issue, sparking a widespread debate. Joining me today are Madhu Mehra, the executive director of Partners for Law in Development and co-founder of National Coalition Advocating for Adolescent Concerns. I also have Jaina Kothari, the executive director of the Center for Law and Policy Research and senior advocate at Supreme Court. She also argued for an intervener when the Supreme Court declared child marital rape as a criminal offense. Madhu I'll come to you first. I would like to ask you that uh, you know when the Prime Minister in the Independence Day speech said that the government was reconsidering the minimum age of marriage for girls, um, uh, this has led to a lot of debates and we've heard from you also on several occasions on this. Um, The question posed to the task force appointed for the purpose is to consider increasing the age of marriage uh, for girls from 18 years um, to 21. Do you agree with the move to increase this age for women?
1: Um, I actually um, don't. So let me just put it uh, up front that I think the increase in age, a minimum age of marriage for women uh, to 21 is not a good move and it won't help girls. Uh, Now, let me explain why. Um, I think in general, we are all very interested that girls should not be pushed into marriage early. In fact, many of us are also interested that marriage should not be a compulsory destination for women to gain social and economic status. So let's, you know, set that aside, that we are coming from a position where actually we care about girls' empowerment and their well-being. So naturally, the question would be, why is it then we are saying that increasing the legal minimum age to 21 is going to harm girls? Why is it a bad idea? Uh, now, a, a point to be clarified is that minimum age of marriage does not mean mandatory age of marriage. I hear many times people raise this question that why should Uh, girls be forced to marry at 18. No, indeed, in this country, girls can marry at any age they want to after 18, maybe at 30, maybe at 40, maybe not at all. So the minimum age only signifies that below that age, there could be legal repercussions. There could be a criminal prosecution under the uh, child marriage law. So that's what it means. Now to increase this lower bar to 21, what would it mean? For that we would have to understand uh, what the law, what kind of role the law plays. It means that the girls will have no say in their personal matters until 21. And we already see um, in uh, the research we've done in the evidence before us, uh, Partners for Law and Development has looked at 10 years of the use of child marriage law through various interventions, habeas corpus, criminal prosecutions, the use of child marriage law itself. We see overwhelmingly the law is used by parents against eloping daughters. So it has become a tool uh, for parental control and for uh, punishment of. Boys or men they choose as their husbands. So, the predominant category of cases that are being taken to court are what we call self arranged marriages. And the smaller category of cases, which is one third of the cases in the 10 year data set we've looked at, are are relating to arranged marriage, and those cases are sometimes brought by parents, sometimes by men, to dissolve or to nullify marriages that have broken down because of um, domestic violence, dowry, incompatibility. So nowhere is age-figuring as an issue in people's minds. Um, And now if we look at what an increase in age to 21 will mean it will mean further prosecutions of girls right up till 21 years. We've seen in the court uh, what happened in the Supreme Court and the Kerala High Court in the Hadiyah case. A fully grown adult woman was challenged. Her decision to marry was challenged by her parents. So just look at how it will play out within the Indian context. Um, And in that sense, to take away the very elementary right that the Child Rights Convention bestows upon people, minors, even minors' children, the right to be heard and the right for their views to be considered, that's going to you know, be denied to girls right up till 21 years, which is beyond adulthood. And so there is no reason uh, why uh, it should, there is no gain, in fact, there is harm. Okay.
0: Um, Madhu, I'd also like to understand, you know, how how is uh, uh, the law as it stands today, the Prohibition of Child Marriages Act 2006, how does that view underage marriages and um, the minors that are involved in such marriages and how effective has it been on the ground?
1: So the PCMA, uh, when it was enacted, uh, set a minimum age of marriage uh, at 18 for girls, at 21 for boys. Now that's how the law is. It treats underage marriages as valid but voidable. So they are, their voidable is not the same as divorce or dissolution. It means that the underage marriage only is valid so long as. The minors involved in the marriage want it to remain valid. They can go to the court of law and have the marriage declared a void. So uh, that's the leeway the law gives. Now, um, it doesn't treat all underage marriages as valid. Some underage marriages in exceptional situations are treated as void when there's trafficking, sale, enticement, fraud, deceit, in those categories of cases, the marriages in any case are um, declared as void. So uh, interestingly, the law gives to the minor party in marriage, and that's a very significant and valuable provision in, in the PCMA, as it's called it allows the minor party to repudiate the marriage or to have it nullified right up till two years of attaining adulthood or majority. So the girls can up till the age of 20, they can at any point have the marriage nullified. And similarly for boys who are married off as minors. And we see that in the overwhelming number of cases which are prosecuted as elopements, Girls are standing up in court and saying, protect my marriage. I want this marriage to stay. And this law, because its it doesn't come with very severe penalties, what it does allow, it also has a provision for injuncting uh, underage marriage from happening. So uh, what it does allow is social workers a lot of leeway and flexibility in negotiating with the families involved and in getting the help of the district administration of the child protection agencies, as well as the police in backing their negotiations with the community and with the family. They usually, and we've done a countrywide documentation of this, they usually do not use the law formally to prosecute because formal prosecution means the parents of the girl Will be immediately put in, uh, taken into custody, and that's a non It's a cognizable, non-bailable offence. So they try to avoid doing that, but they use law to persuade. And we also know that uh, social workers do it at great risk to themselves. We know the case of Bhavari Devi who was gang-raped for stopping a child marriage. So the repercussions at the village level are very severe for interfering. Uh, in this kind of manner, so the the way that social workers choose is to negotiate, engage with them, send the girl to the shelter home for a while, continue the conversations, and thereby create an environment in which it's not the goal is not to simply stop a marriage or to delay the marriage, but the goal then can shift to something much beyond that to ensure the girls uh, aspirations are fulfilled she wants to complete her education she wants to join a you know youth club and so on so it becomes a much more empowering process once you make it void the social workers role in interven intervening and in engaging with community uh, completely goes out and uh, remember even if you, the law declares it void <laughs> the The um, community systems are such. the ma- marriage has social validity, so people will continue to be there, and, and it's not so easy to just simply uh, you know say that it doesn't exist. In fact, when families um, simply cut off uh, or break a promise to marry or break a marriage or not send the girl back in Ghana. Uh, there are huge financial penalties, which the law is not even aware of, you know, it goes into lakhs of rupees, depending on which caste and biradari you come from. So this delicate balance that the current PCMA allows social workers, uh, you know, that's, that's a very important thing. And the final right to repudiate is with the minor party alone, that should never be taken away.
0: Okay. Uh, Jaina, let me bring you in. Um, so, do you think that raising the age of marriage for both of uh, both men and women, since it uh, makes uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. Do you agree that raising the age of marriage for both men and women to twenty one makes it equal for both? And do you, would you welcome the move? Uh, thanks, Jaina.
2: I welcome the move to make the hunting of men and women, uh, but I don't welcome the move to increase it to 21. So uh, one of the uh, big demands, I think, um, human rights activists, women's groups, child rights activists, is that the age of marriage should be equal for boys and girls. Um, you know, we've had uh, this differing age of 18 for girls and 21 for boys under the PCMA. And this was the same age even under the previous law, the Child Marriage Restraint Act, which was a 1929 law. And, you know, this uh, this kind of thinking is a very outdated thinking that, you know, girls mature earlier than boys and therefore they should have a lower age of marriage. They are more mature earlier Uh, while boys, uh, you know, take more time and therefore there should be a younger age for girls. I think we've moved beyond that and all human rights equality principles demand that there should be an equal age of marriage. And just to give an example, I mean, you know, the Law Commission report has uh, recommended that uh, this was a Law Commission report which was uh, uh, published in 2008 uh, on uh, reform at family law. Uh, And not only did it recommend a uniform age of marriage for boys and girls, it also recommended that that uniform age be 18 and not 21. Uh, I'll get to why I feel it shouldn't be 21, but I want to first outline and give an overview of all the recommendations that point to make it 18 years. Uh, So the law commission has uh, recommended that. Uh, The National Human Rights Commission recently in 2018 had a large national consultation where again it recommended that there should be an equal or uniform age of marriage for boys and girls. All our legislations where you say the age of majority. Now here I'm talking only about age of marriage and not... Uh, anything to do with consent or age of consent for sexual intercourse. I'm talking about marriage. Um, So if we say that the age of marriage should match with majority, you know, all our other laws, such as the Majority Act, which gives you rights to vote, which gives you rights to enter into contracts, all of those are at the age of 18 and they're equal for men and women. Um, Even the Supreme Court in the uh, uh, independent thought case, when it looked at child marriage, The court looked at a child as a child and not as male or female in some parts and said that it's accepted universally that a child uh, is someone who's at the age of 18. And so that should be the age of marriage. Even if we look at our international commitments, the UN, um, the CEDAW committee also recognizes or recommends 18 as the age of marriage. So one is that certainly there has to be uniformity um i don't think uh, I, I think if we're looking at law reform we should not have these differential age of marriages uh, what it also does in the context of the pcma is that um like discussed uh, by madhu earlier that there is a two-year period for annulling a marriage even if we go by the current law uh, look at how it impacts girls and boys differently a girl who's married at 18 gets two years' time to repudiate her marriage, which is when she's 20. And that's still a fairly young age. Consider a minor girl who's 17, who hasn't had the, uh, you know, capacity to refuse or resist marriage and is forced into the marriage. Uh, Do we think that when she's 20, she's going to have the wherewithal and support to actually go to court and annul the marriage? And where a boy is, say, married at... 19 or 20 he can actually annul the marriage till he's 23 which is 2 years after 21 so in many different ways this unequal age of marriage impacts girls uh, more adversely than boys and there should be a uniform age of marriage i certainly don't think it should be increased to 21 um in fact one is two arguments for that one is that i think uh, there's a universal uh, 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 agreement that the age of marriage, not I mean, not just in India, but internationally should be 18. And I think in India, in the Indian context, even the current age of marriage of 18 and 21, you know, 18 for, for girls, you know, we find that implementation is extremely hard. Uh, we have a high percentage of child marriages. So I think there is no basis to increase it to 21. If the concern is you know, there should be uh, lesser, uh, you know, lower pregnancies, younger pregnancies. I mean, of course, there are different ways to address that. But uh, the res- the you know, the solution is not to increase the age of marriage. Um, so I, I would definitely say it's a welcome move to equalize age. But that equalized age should be 18 and not more. Okay.
0: Uh, Madhu, do you agree with the principle of equality being applied here?
1: Uh, So, um, I would say, how do we understand equality is my question. Uh, I would uh, look at it from that lens, and I think there's room for change, but let me explain what kind of change. Uh, And and I would say that uh, my proposition is to enhance gender equality. Now, as far as the age is concerned, making it, I think, yes, international standard is 18 and 18 is the age of adulthood, of majority. So really, there should be no reason why it was not uh, adopted as 18. Now, in 1978, when the Child Marriage Restraint Act was amended to increase the ages to 18 and 21, One of the reasons why this amendment was carried out was keeping population control in mind. That was the time when they really should have made it 18, But we've missed the bus, so to say. At this point, it's a theoretical discussion because we don't have evidence to show that tinkering with age will benefit in any way. So uh, there are two ways of looking at equality. One is the formal equality that we should have same ages and just for achieving sameness an amendment is desirable. So I'm, I'm um, not in favor of that approach. I'm more in favor of what would be the outcomes. So if we look at the outcomes, um, it is that if I were to make this change, how would it really play out in the lives of the parties involved in terms of the beneficiaries involved, the boys and girls. Now, in the Indian context, we widely practice hypergamy, which is to say that the boy has to be older, the boy has to be more educated, has to have a bigger, higher income, and so on. So, across um, across all the different communities, hypergamy is is widely accepted and seen as the standard of a of the basis of coupledom. So if we were to bring the age of boys down to 18, it is quite possible then that the most desirable spouse or bride for that boy would be 16 or 15, if we apply the hypergamy principle. So on that basis, I would say that whatever it is, we don't have any evidence of particular harm in that regard, let it be. Unless we have evidence, let's not touch it. But I completely agree with uh, Jena's point that the boys have up till 23 to repudiate, whereas the girls have until 20. And so I would argue very strongly for the girls to have four years uh, on attaining majority in which time they may choose to repudiate the marriage. So you give girls the buffer they actually need because we know that it's very difficult for girls within a matrimonial setting to decide what they want and the first few years might well be very comfortable for them. You know, the, the, just the idea of being married is very sort of romantically packaged in popular culture. So it's only later that the girl might realize what, she's, that she, what she really feels about her predicament. And so giving a girl four years is good. But I will say, if we are thinking about equality, and we're thinking about non-discrimination, one other amendment is non-negotiable and of very, very high priority. Currently, in elopement cases, the boys are prosecuted for rape for repeated rape of the minor wife and repeated rape is an aggravated offense punishable by a minimum of 20 years Um, and the court has no discretion to reduce the sentence to less than 20 years in contrast in an arranged marriage when you prosecute parents and We know that hardly ever occurs uh, in, in the study we've done over 10 years. They are prosecuted, and if successfully convicted, the maximum punishment is two years. There is no minimum, so they may get away with fine. What we are doing is we are replacing honor killings by rule of law we are playing out honor-based retaliation by the law, and that is absolutely unacceptable. It is heinous, and it's, it's so serious that it must be taken note of, and the age of consent needs to be brought down immediately at the earliest, because this is what should concern us, that young, mm, a young people who are either still minors, or they are just, uh, you know, 18 and above, are having to be prosecuted because of the nature of law for such draconian offenses, uh, when actually they've not committed a crime, you know, beyond puberty. Uh, it is uh, biologically, um, uh, uh, it's it's biologically, um, you know, driven the interest in sexuality, the explorations, and so on. So to punish, uh, to bring in the law for consensual, non-exploitative, non-coercive relations between peers is a big flaw that needs to be corrected.
0: Okay. So this um, argument leads me to my next question to Jaina. Jaina, I want to ask, uh, you know, uh, ask you how... Can the law protect adolescents and young adults falling in love, eloping, and then inviting retribution from their parents and community?
2: Yeah. Uh, Thanks, Javriti. Yeah, so I think this is an important question. Uh, What about young adults and their uh, 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 consensual sexual activity and how can the law respond? Um, And here I would really uh, uh, make this argument that I think in India, we have to look, the law uh, has to look at age of marriage and age of consent differently. Right now, all these issues uh, are happening and taking place because both these ages are conflated. The age of marriage and age of consent is 18. Um, And so what happens is that one is that you uh, do have a situation which we have to recognize that young, young adults who are much younger than 18 are engaging in sexual intercourse consensually. I mean, we have to address that. We cannot uh, say that uh, by keeping the age of consent for sexual intercourse as 18, what you're doing is that you're criminalizing consensual sexual activity uh, uh that young people are engaging in which then becomes dangerous right because then they have to run away from home they can easily be you know charged with criminal offenses which are mostly the boys who are charged with criminal offenses and then this whole kind of uh, there's a pressure on getting married uh because the age of marriage is also 18 so a a, a lot of times young people, young girls especially, and I would like to emphasize that, that more often than not, in uh, these uh, runaway relationships, the more often than not, I'm not saying in all cases, the girl is younger than 18, often the boy is older, but because there is so much fear of criminal charges being pressed because the age of consent is 18, uh, and the girl is much younger, there's a lot of pressure on young people to get married. Now, if we didn't have uh, the age of marriage and age of consent as the same, if the age of consent to sexual intercourse was much younger, say it was 16, and I would strongly argue that there must be a younger age of consent, then the pressure to get married wouldn't be there. The reason they're getting married is because they're afraid of being uh, put behind bars which is what this age of consent does. And then uh, often young people find themselves, young girls find themselves in marriages, which they have kind of entered into just to escape from this criminal, uh, criminalization. Uh, But the marriage leads to so many other issues and difficulties, which a young girl cannot imagine at that point. It forces uh, the girl into, uh, you know, stopping her education, forced into housework, pregnancy, domestic violence, all of that. So, uh, you know, a, a young person is not able to uh, grapple with the uh, large, uh, the ramifications of marriage. Uh, so I think the law should respond by, I think we seriously need to reconsider our age, of the lowering of our age of consent. Um, and I think uh, there also needs to be some uh, uh, framework in place that even with a lowered age of consent, how do you ensure that there isn't and exploitation. Um, in some countries uh, they do it where uh, even though the age of consent, even though the minor girl may may be above the age of consent, but if there's sexual intercourse with someone who's in a position of power like a teacher or an employer or someone else, then it would still be uh, taken as not having consent or if there is an age difference of maybe four years or more. So these are different options to consider if we look at law reform but i would certainly argue that there has to be a lowering of age of consent uh, and that ne- and our age of consent and age of age of marriage needn't match and i think we need a change of mi- mindset because in india you can't both the ages are the same uh, and the thinking is largely based on the fact that you can't have sexual intercourse without marriage you know so i and i think Um, uh, a difference in both ages will allow for that and hopefully allow for um, younger people to safely have sexual intercourse. It would allow them to get access to adolescent sexual uh, materials. Um, It will allow younger girls to get uh, access to healthcare, uh, you know, education on reproductive rights, none of that is available because the age of consent is also 18. So a young girl is really afraid to go even to a doctor to seek help, say she's pregnant or she needs any other contraception because under age, I mean under 18 you're not supposed to be having sex, otherwise it's considered a criminal offense. So I think it will open up and make all of these uh, rights more accessible to young girls.
0: Okay. So, uh, um, Jaina, you know, the debate that we are having today uh, emerges from the Supreme Court judgment of 27, which said that uh, sexual intercourse with a child bride under 18 years would be considered rape, just like for brides under 15 years. Uh, This has also led to the government mulling over amending the law to make all child marriages illegal or void ab initio. Do you think this will help girls trapped in such marriages? Um, yes, there has been a big
2: debate on making uh, child marriages void, uh, and this has uh, happened in Karnataka. I do uh, I do think that it's important uh, to have uh, our PCMA, which is the Prohibition of Child Marriage Act, uh, declare child marriages void uh, ab initio, which means that all child marriages, underage marriages, would be void or would be. Would not be recognized as valid marriages, um, and uh, and I think it would help uh, young girls who are forced into marriages and talk uh, to uh, to come out of it. But I think there's a larger issue. The larger issue for uh, uh, for making child marriages void is that one is that uh, we need to recognize child marriage as a human rights violation. And why do I say that? I say that because um and you know this is this has been extensively documented there are studies um on health on violence on pregnancies done not only in india but in but the world over but certainly in india by the national um uh, health and family survey uh, regularly child marriage shows that uh it endangers the lives of young girls because it exposes them to increased domestic violence, to marital rape, and to early pregnancies, and a whole host of other health complications. So child marriage, and it also deals, or uh, it leads to a violation of many of their other rights, their rights to education, and uh, their rights to uh, you know, uh, all other choices in life. So child marriage certainly is, if you look at child marriage at the age of 18, uh, I mean, child marriage below the age of 18 is a human rights violation, and we have to recognize that. Uh, will it, uh, will, will, uh, making child marriages void, will it, uh, uh, how will it help young girls? You know, that's the question. Uh, one issue is that, uh, it certainly will signal a message socially that child marriages are not valid, uh, and socially, uh, will make them less acceptable. Now, of course, child marriage is a social issue. And I don't think that uh, just one change in the law will overnight uh, change uh, the social mindset of conservative families uh, all over India. It is going to take time. But we have to uh, signal that if if we are saying that there's an age of marriage and the age of marriage is X, then any marriage under it should not be recognized. And that's what the Supreme Court said in, in the independent thought case. The Supreme Court said that uh, while on the one hand Parliament has prohibited child marriage, it is ambivalent about it because it, uh, uh, even though there is child marriage, it is it does not make it void. It, so it therefore allows it to happen, and therefore what happens is that socially communities, families, uh, and uh, uh, you know social groups accept it the minute. Uh, there's a girl and boy and uh, uh, and here I'm talking about non-consensual relationships uh, where there is a child marriage, even where activists go and call the police and ask them to stop it. There is so much social pressure. They say, you know, this is marriage. And even the police know that ultimately it's going to be a valid marriage and it's only going to be voidable if either of the parties take any steps. So, So child marriage is very difficult to be stopped, even where people know about it. I think it leads, because child marriages are valid, it puts more pressure on young, per- young people who are in consensual relationships, also to escape the harassment by their parents. You know, you may want to be with your boyfriend and you do, and your parents are stopping you, but then you take the extreme step of marriage because you know that that marriage will be recognized so, and socially accepted. So I think uh, I, I think uh, if we want to ensure that the rights of young girls are protected, and we and we if we recognize that child marriage is a human rights violation, we have to ensure that uh, child marriages are considered void. Of course, it has to go along with some measures to protect young girls, because I don't think it's going to be so easy for many of them to immediately get out of it, even if such an amendment is uh is is brought into force so there have to be measures that where the girl where the marriage has taken place and it is therefore void thereafter uh the girl in the marriage who you know of a, uh the girl who whose marriage has been you know declared void or has been rendered void has the protections of uh either maintenance protection orders from domestic violence Child support if there's a child. So, all those uh, provisions or protections have to be there. And I just want to give, you know, uh, conclude this by giving an example. You know, uh, two years ago, we had this young girl who was 13 years old. She came to our office in CLPR and she had been uh, taken away by two boys, older boys in their 20s who were in her neighborhood. She was not studying, she was just at home all day. She was forced into a relationship with one of them uh, and married at home. And uh, she would, her parents knew about it, but they, they couldn't do anything or they weren't bothered enough to do anything about it. Uh, she was taken away by these boys. And then she herself with the help of another, an organization that rescued her said, I want to declare my marriage as void. And in Karnataka, because we had the amendment the karnataka amendment the family court could at least declare the marriage void uh, and she could uh, to some extent therefore you know get out of that pressure which even her family wasn't really bothered to uh, do anything about it so i think uh, in the long run it will help it will give a message that child child marriage is not valid and i think over time it will uh, assist Uh, in ensuring that socially child marriage is not acceptable at all.
0: Okay. Um, Madhu, what do you feel about uh, this ambivalence within the law that Jaina was talking about? And what does your uh, field experience suggest uh, in terms of what might be the effective way of tackling underage marriage?
1: Uh, So if you look at uh, uh, what the ground reality is, and I, I always think that Uh, because an issue like child marriage is a social issue, and it's also an economic issue in some sense. Uh, It's important to look at it from not just the lens of the law, but from the lens of what's happening, what's playing out in society, uh, what does the macro data, what does the national data have to say? Now, uh, we have had over the years, uh, uh, since uh, the right to education came in, we've had much greater enrollment of girls but we find that at the senior secondary level there's a huge drop and if we look at the reason for the drop uh we the national family health survey of india tells us that the three biggest reasons for the drop one is The girls and families are not interested in the kind of education they're getting, which is very poor quality. It doesn't translate. It it doesn't really uh, show uh, show them of a way out of intergenerational poverty. So given the poor quality of education, they don't see any value of continuing the girls' education. The second reason is the high cost of education. Again, a lot of parents are interested in private education, which they see better. And there is a lot of privatization that's happening. And so that is another thing that pushes girls out of school uh, at, at that level. The third biggest reason, which is not to be discounted, is girls' unpaid domestic work. Now, we our families thrive on um domestic work which is unpaid, somebody has to has to provide for it. In middle class homes there may be enough money to hire someone, but in very poor homes it's really the mother who's going out to work. She's probably a daily wager or a domestic worker. And so the daughters get pulled into it. And we've done a study where we see when the oldest girl gets married, the younger one gets pulled out of school. Marriage is not at all a significant reason for girls to be pulled out of school so i think this myth that somehow they are getting married and they are having to leave education that's completely not borne out by the national data now what would be a way forward how could we accelerate this situation and improve it for girls because right now our concern really at the center of her concern should be girls empowerment and not delaying marriage because delaying marriage means delayed to 18 delayed to 19 her situation remains the same she's locked up in a room in the house because there's not safety security outside so girls are have no mobility and so they're also very anxious about the constraints and then are drawn towards say a boyfriend who might through whom they might you know, get a sense of uh, freedom, which may not be freedom at all, but you know, it's a driver. So the one of the biggest ways we can see, uh, we can ensure a shift is to actually increase the uh, scope of right to education for girls right up to vocational studies. So complete the schooling right into vocational studies special programs and uh, enabling provisions for girls from disadvantaged backgrounds because underage marriage is an issue of poverty. It is a symptom of early adulthood. Even the boys that we look at, they're dropping out of school early to do petty jobs and daily wage. The girls are doing housework and daily wage. So it's an overall scenario where they are pushed into early adulthood and marriage is part of adult responsibilities. That's what we need to change. I think a formal law approach will again run completely, uh, you know, in a sense, superficially and it will do more harm than good. Now, while I agree that underage marriage does um, stymie a girl's um you know, possibilities and, and her life chances. But I would say that to introduce criminal law and punishment and to declare it void is like saying hunger is a human rights problem and the way to address hunger is by criminalizing those who have less food or eat one meal. It's equivalent to that. How would you change if you recognized hunger as a human rights problem, how would you change the situation? By actually making provision of food security for those who go hungry. And I think same for child marriage. Uh, We have to ensure that more opportunities open up. At the moment, India has the lowest participation of women in the workforce. COVID has introduced an, you know, has exaggerated the economic crisis that we are undergoing and in that context girls have been pulled out of school so in in poor communities at the school level in the rural areas there is no digital education that's happening as we see in the urban context so girls are sitting at home and keeping them at home is very unsafe for families because there isn't much for girls uh you know to do it's not very safe to go out so in the world view of the families and the community the best way to ensure her safety is to ensure she's married so she doesn't elope and you know chances are that if she knows she's going to be married at the same time and if she finds somebody that she likes uh, whether or not it's a good match by you know the world standards she is going to uh, go with that choice because she knows that she would otherwise also be married you, you know the life prospects are, are sort of almost um, a given in that context so uh, what we need to do is really to ensure that the decision making is with a girl alone uh, in terms of whether or not she wants to stay in the marriage. <clears throat> And I'd like to uh, come to the, to the case that uh, of the 13-year-old girl who was, uh, you know, in a sense lured by two, me- two boys or two men in a relationship and wanted to get out of that. Now, under the present law, the national law, which treats the marriage as valid but voidable, she would still be able to nullify it. But the right would be hers. And likewise, girls who go to court to say they want to stay in that marriage, they would have that option. So the voice of the girl would be paramount uh, in, in that scenario. And even now we are seeing across the country where there are active um, community-based organizations and youth groups, they are helping girls who reach out to them and say, please stop, my parents are about to marry me and then they do activate the machinery and i said you know use the persuasion and only when persuasion fails would they probably use the the law itself which is quite difficult uh, because uh, again from our documentation what we have learned is when girls go to the police to complain about their parents their plans are revealed to the families so The girl then disappears, is quickly moved from one town to the other and quietly married. So let us remember that the law enforcement machinery is going to side with the more powerful members of society, not with a girl. And the only way forward is, as in the case of the 13-year-old girl, where social workers assist you to come to a lawyer. And I think, so another response, uh, knowing what the ground reality is like, to invest in community mobilization, to invest in, in, in such building such organizations, give them the powers. So uh, resource resource these organizations because we know that the child marriage uh, prohibition officer is largely inactive. So uh, keeping that in mind, change the ground realities so that options open up Policing child marriage is not a solution because it's not either empowering the girl or increasing her life chances and opportunities. All it manages to do is police her until a particular time and then say, okay, now we don't care about your well-being. You can go back to the matrimonial drudgery because the idea, the game changer is how do you actually empower the girl, give her a voice, which families and society will not give her. And how do we increase opportunities? So make sure there's employment. Make sure that there's special uh, you know, cover up till vocational studies available so that the girls then come out at 21, they have enough to do. Uh, and they're building themselves. They're not just waiting to be getting married. They're building themselves and their capacities.
0: Uh, China, I'll uh, come to you for the last uh, question. Um, in your previous answer, you spoke about this particular case where CLPR could intervene. Could you give us a sense of what's happening in Karnataka, which has amended uh, PCMA uh, to render child marriages void ab initio? Has that helped girls? Uh, what is the situation in the state like? Yeah.
2: So in Karnataka, there was an amendment in 2017, uh, quite an important amendment, which uh, made which amended section three of the uh, PCMA making child marriages void ab initio. And this amendment was brought about uh, based on the recommendations of the Justice Shivraj Patil committee. Uh, this was a committee set up uh, where Justice Shivraj Patil, a former Supreme Court judge uh, did intensive, Um, um, you know, hearings and uh, investigations across the state and came out with a whole range of recommendations. Now, unfortunately, though this uh, amendment has been brought about since 2017, uh, we are in 2020 now, three years later, the, uh, uh, you know, there hasn't been much of an impact. And I would say the reason that there hasn't been much impact is because just bringing about an amendment to make the uh, child is void is not enough. There has to be awareness created. Uh, there has to be a mechanism to make people aware that this is the new law now. So in Karnataka, the government has really not done anything much to advertise this amendment, to make it more uh, known in, uh, to young girls, maybe in schools and colleges, At community levels. So it is really only the child rights groups who know about this. And there's really no awareness at all. Young girls, young people don't know about it. The police don't know. Um, So even the child marriage prohibition officers are not trained. So there, I mean, the law has come, but it's just for the moment a dormant law. But what we saw is that in the case of this 13 year old girl, What was extremely shocking, and here I would like to uh, say that you know, since Madhu mentioned that uh, even the PCMA currently has provisions to uh, make a marriage voidable, yes, it does, but it's not being used at all. Certainly, it's been used only where there are community groups or child rights groups reaching out to young girls. In Karnataka, when we filed the petition, it was the first petition for annulment filed in the family court in Bangalore. The judges were completely unaware and because the Karnataka amendment to make it void was there, uh, it was much easier because uh, the court was very ambivalent about, uh, about declaring a marriage void and it's very difficult to get girls it's not easy for them to be so strong and keep coming to the court repeatedly to say i want to get my marriage annulled i want to get it annulled there are so many pressures social pressures family pressures working on them so in karnataka though we have an amendment there is a lot that needs to be done uh, we we've asked the government to frame rules to make uh, to make it clear what this would mean Would it mean that the marriage is automatically void and therefore you would not need to go back to court to declare a marriage, a child marriage void? So there still is some legal clarity that is required, perhaps by rules. And rules should also be framed to give some protection to girls uh, on the ground where their marriages are declared void. Uh, So, yes, a lot needs to be done. And we hope that, um, you know, this. Uh, there can be a model for it. And of course, we need more uh, work. We we need more community workers and more access on the ground. Um, and I think if this is implemented well, then certainly the need for criminalizing, I mean, I agree in a way with, I, I totally agree with Madhu uh, uh, when she says that there shouldn't be criminalizing or policing. I agree with that. But I, I would also argue that uh, the law has to prohibit child marriages. And that's, that's not criminalizing. That is just declaring child marriages as void. And how do we ensure that that message goes out? And once that message goes out, I think socially it will, uh, uh, hopefully we can, you know, we can push uh, some reform on the ground.
1: If I might just come in, um, Jagrithi, uh, is that because, uh, you know, uh, PLD undertook a survey uh, in April, May, and we spoke with, uh, you know, lawyers like Jaina as well as with many social workers in Karnataka to see exactly how it's playing out in Karnataka. I'd just like to share what we found is that uh, actually uh, on the ground, uh, child marriages continue to happen in northern Karnataka, which are a poorer area. So it is an outcome of poverty. Uh, and so, as I said, it hasn't stopped underage marriages from happening now we also heard that they have rapidly appointed a lot of cmpos again they are people who are government functionaries doing other jobs but they've been appointed on dual charge so that really doesn't and that's what we are seeing across different laws in the country it doesn't really help them uh, act more effectively they are still or overburdened, and it's a very tricky issue to intervene. Anyway, the CMPO is at the district level, and this is these are happening in the villages. Uh, now, the other interesting thing is that under COVID, uh, the Hindu has reported in Mysore district in two months more than a hundred marriages have taken place, and many of them have just disappeared once the, they were found out, because for them the marriage is a reality, and we are creating a very peculiar situation, which is extremely dangerous for uh, for uh, for girls, is that, you know, while the ones who are forcibly married, uh, they will continue to be in marriage because how do they know it's void? They are living in matrimony, performing household functions, childbearing, and doing everything because... The government might think they are, their, their marriage is void, but they are in a marriage. And for those who choose to be, uh, there is no legal protection because when they are prosecuted by their parents, they have no defense. They can't say that their marriage is void and they wish to stay in it. So actually, it's counterproductive to both. And we saw a case, uh, one of the social workers shared with us a case uh, in Karnataka of a, of a minor who was widowed And when she uh, um, sought to claim the pension of her uh, deceased husband, she was told actually her marriage is not valid. So her marriage doesn't exist. Now, we can well say that they have the right to maintenance and the child is legitimate. But those are of no succor to a person who's continuing to be within that marriage. She has no matrimonial rights. She has no right to inheritance. She has no right to stay in that home. The man would have no legal consequences if he married again. But her life situation doesn't alter merely by saying it's void. She just becomes a de facto wife who has no legal protection. And I think it's very dangerous uh, because we've already seen that one case. Uh, I think in uh, the case that we heard from Jenna's office, that by the time they got the court order for the girl, it was already two years had lapsed, and the girl had disappeared. So you know, uh, these are the difficulties. Law, uh, one is not uh, law has very little role to play, and it should, in a context of such extreme vulner- vulnerability, be be in enabling, not punitive. Uh, so I would uh, say that yes, the government needs to do something. Let them invest. Let them invest in the right to education. Expand it. Let them invest in the ICDS program, which has lost. You know, the the resource allocation has uh, is much less than what it should be. So uh, those are the ways in which uh, one can alter that reality. Uh, not. Through legal changes uh, alone, and I um, I do want to say that the Shivraj Patel Committee, from my recollection, uh, was constituted because of a uh, uh, you know an event of mass marriages that was happening, uh, and they were asked to look into it. I don't think they recommended marriages to be void. I think that came when the legislative process began. So, uh, in fact, what we've heard from many of the social workers that uh, uh, that that they didn't agree with that recommendation. So, I wh- while I'm not clear what the committee themselves said, but many of the social workers who participated in it said that they don't see any value in it because it's made their job much more difficult. Uh, how do they help girls who are in that circumstance, but they actually have no recognition? Uh, in the eyes of law and they have no matrimonial rights, which are very different from the right to maintenance. These girls can't go to court to access maintenance. And and in a society where there's such stigma around premarital sex and childbirth without marriage, uh, you can just imagine that these girls are consigned to become social outliers for the rest of their life. And I think in that sense, we have to deal with the concern, but how do we deal with it? The, the path, to my mind, is one which will cause least harm and will most strengthen the minors involved. And that is not the legal route of void. Thank you. So a, a
0: lot of differing views there, but at least there is consensus that there is no need to raise the age of marriage for women. And hopefully the task force will heed to uh, uh, the submissions that both of you have made. Um, thank you to uh, both of you for joining uh, me today for this discussion. Uh, thanks a lot with that. It's a wrap here. Thanks, thank Madhu. Thanks, Tena.
1: Thank you. Thanks.